Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello there and welcome to the Wednesday edition, July 8, 2020 to be specific, of uh, this here show, Lynn Cullen's Still Alive. Hey, so, guys, are you eager to read uh, Nancy Trump's book? I personally am just going to read all the stuff that gets written about it and figure that that will give me the the juicy parts. Uh, it is uh, remarkable that this uh, estranged member of this uh, vile family uh, has a PhD in uh, in what clinical psychology, whatever. Um, she has spent a lot of time working with uh, people with severe mental illness, actually with schizophrenia. So finally, somebody who has you know, some professional wherewithal and some obvious knowledge of this man who is our president and uh, certainly of his his family, of which she is a part. And it's not as if we don't know that this family is a, a viper's nest, but the detail that she will uh, show us is incredible, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I was, um, I said, I don't know, I don't know. And then I said, you know. So do you? <laughs> I happened to read a review of another book. Uh, this, a fictional uh, account of uh, this presidency. And uh, it appears to be uh, very funny if one is capable of laughing about this. It's called Make America, excuse me, it's called Make Russia Great Again. And it is written by uh, Christopher Buckley, who also wrote Thank You for Not Smoking. Was that the title of his book? He's he's funny. And um and a rave review from uh, the Washington Post uh to uh this book. It says in part that Christopher Buckley is not angry about Donald Trump. He sounds instead as delighted as a fly discovering the world's largest pile of manure. Um, It's, yeah, thank you for smoking is the book. (laughs) Thank you for not smoking. He is the son of the uh, more famous William F. Buckley, the uh, arch-conservative intellectual. And because... I was reading the review and thinking, he is Buckley's son, right? And I, I thought, yeah, he is, he is. And then I thought, well, you better just Google to be sure. And I did, and yes, he's his son. 
But in the course of Googling it, <coughs> I came across uh, a story about uh, Christopher Buckley's son and uh, William Buckley's grandson. And I was appalled. It turns out, and I don't know what this is. So what? what is it with these people, these rich families of uh, Republic? I mean, I suppose any family can be this repulsive. But it turns out that Christopher Buckley, whose book I wanted to like and who's, you know, who I wanted maybe to be able to have some fun with, is sounds like a loathsome character, as does his father, in that it turns out that Christopher Buckley, this is the story, um, fathered a son out of wedlock. That son, at least when the article was written, was 16, (coughs) excuse me, and I think would be uh, in his early 20s now. Buckley has not suggested that he is not the father. He has, I believe, never seen this child, but he sends the mother child support. The article was written because he was trying to get the child support lowered. Um, And the thing that made me just sick is that William Buckley, in his will, not only didn't leave this grandson of his a penny, he went out of his way to mention this illegitimate grandson by saying he will not get Penny, I consider him to have predeceased me. What kind of a repulsive, loathsome human being would make a point of putting that in their last will and testament about a child? who their son produced. So I had been thinking about these two books, the book about Trump's repulsive family, and then I see this lighthearted, oh, make Russia great again, and this is funny, and the Washington Post is, even just reading the review, it sounds funny. And then just to be sure that Christopher was William's son, I happen upon this disgusting story. And it mirrors some of what we learn about the Trump family. About wills being used to hurt and cut out members of the family who for some reason have not measured up 
I don't know. I can't. These people are so awful. They're all just friggin' awful. So I had wanted to tell you about this damn book, and now I want to tell you, don't read it. I wouldn't want to give Christopher a red scent. So there's that. That's just some of what I happened upon uh, this morning while trying to, wait a minute, do I have the exact, I might have the exact thing from the will. I was paraphrasing. I'm just stunned, stunned by how awful people can be. Okay, here it is. Conservative writer William F. Buckley died in 2008, leaving an estate estimated at $30 million. But before he expired, he made sure his grandson Jonathan, then five years old, would never get a penny. He actually wrote in his last will and testament, quote, I intentionally make no provision herein for said Jonathan, who for all purposes shall be deemed to have predeceased me. Can you imagine about a five-year-old boy? And that's a quote from his will. It it was uh, Vanity Fair reported on it in the Hartford Current. Um, Yeah, he'd be 20 years old now. And uh, Christopher Buckley, the author, is in court battling the mother trying to give her less money. He's never really, I mean, obviously he doesn't, he acknowledges that that's his son. Wow. I, I just, I'm sorry. I don't understand. I, I find it, well, you know, I say this all the time. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by how horrible some people are. And there are people that we're supposed to, what, look up to? Whose books we're supposed to read and laugh at? Oh, my God. To me, that about his will is all you need to know about William F. Buckley. And I don't care how erudite he was. I don't care how brilliant his mind might have been. I don't care about all the stories about him and his awful wife, Pat. The whole bunch of them. What awful human beings. And they are lifted up and lauded. It's amazing there's not a statue to them. We seem to do statues of the worst people. God dang it. Oh, sorry.
Um, I was looking for stuff to... <coughs> Sorry, I have been coughing and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm, of course, immediately thinking, ah, I'm coughing. But it's... Um, I also have read that our air quality here in Pittsburgh is uh, awful right now, uh, really awful. And for someone like me who has these lung issues and, <coughs> you know, has to walk the dog, um, I'm, I'm, I have been coughing for the last three days. <coughs> anyway. I happened to look on CNN on um, on my phone, and I saw some of the story. Here, there were two stories that were highlighted as I scrolled down. And just listen to this. This is what I'm thinking. What is with people? Here's one, and I didn't click on it, so I can't tell you anything more. Headline: Florida jogger finds decomposing human head on side of road. And under it, Dutch police discover secret torture site <coughs> excuse me <coughs> in shipping containers. What is with people? What? Someone tell me. God. So if you find out I end up with this thing because of this cough. God, isn't it awful you can't even have a, a tickle? in your throat without assuming you're going to die. Hey, what a wild, what a wild. So, um, our uh, editor, uh, Lisa Cunningham, City Paper, uh, happened to retweet a uh, one of my favorite photos of all time and it made me want to just say something about it again. There is a that wonderful video of Donald Trump sitting at his desk. And this is before he – it's before he's president, but not long before. And he's clearly doing some gimmick of some sort. Maybe it's when he was running. I don't know. And so some poor bald eagle has been brought in uh, as a prop – and put on his desk. And Trump is sitting there, and the, this massive, wondrous creature, all of a sudden, just like it appears, tries to attack him. <laughs> you know, goes for him. And Trump, like, just, man, he ducks and and rolls out of the frame on the wheels of his uh, of his chair. Um, it's wonderful. And it's always been cut off there, so you don't really see the rest of it. <coughs> but I was thinking, how iconic is that moment that a bald eagle, the embodiment of the United States of America, our... This is the animal that we chose to represent us, that the representation of the United States attacks 
Donald Trump tries to take him out. Oh God. I, I it's just it's I, I could look at that thing a million times. A million times. All righty. I listen, as you guys know, I'm changing topics now. As you know, I've been expressing concern um about uh the fact that a lot of people who are in dire enough straits, having lost their jobs, um, trying to stay alive in many ways, uh, unable because there's no money coming in to pay their rent, uh, could in fact begin to be uh, evicted. The uh, moratorium on evictions uh, in Pennsylvania uh, is set to expire this Friday. So I have wanted to know more about this. And then lo and behold, I I read a, a piece that gave me all that information uh, yesterday. And I have the author of the piece joining us now. And I just want to be able to have you have um, all the information about this, because to me, this is a huge issue. So uh, Stephen Caruso, who is a reporter for, is it the Harrisburg Capital Star? Pennsylvania Capital Star, but we're based in Harrisburg. (laughs) Okay, okay, the Pennsylvania Capital Star. Stephen, how are you? (laughs) I'm good one. Uh, It's good to hear your voice again. I'm hacking and coughing here on the other end. I'm probably dying, but uh, pay no attention. (laughs) Pay no attention. Stephen, we we should say, was uh, he really got his start um, as a producer of this, this, whatever this is, this show. How long were you, how long did you do that with me? About a year and a half or something? I think it was, I think it was just like six months. It was. Is that like all you fall, lasted? Are you kidding? It was like fall of 2017 until like March of 2018. Yeah, and he was plotting his escape the entire time, <laughs> and and he finally he got out because well you know it's funny I just want to say this because you of all the producers I ever had were the most insistently uh, reluctant to in any way be engaged on the program. Because (laughs) you you do recall, I mean, you were just, no, no, because this is a guy who actually is a journalist. And that was what he intended to do with his life. And as a ethical journalist, he would not even, you would never say boo about anything in an opinion way you would you could uh maybe if it was a fact you would be willing to say something but if it i mean you just never would ever i i guess i'd say that times have changed me i perhaps uh if people use twitter there might be a few who follow me and say oh that's even is a little too editorial but i don't know you know i also don't think it's i don't think uh I think reporters can provide facts and provide the important facts. And, you know, if someone wants to conceive of that as bias, I can't stop them. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, Stephen Caruso left me to go off 
to, to Harrisburg, for God's sake. And he has ever since been, God, I don't know how you can do it, covering the horror of our state legislature. <laughs> I don't uh, know how you can do it. Um, okay, see, now we can't say I, anything. Okay. See that, that, no, I, w- I would say booze and jogging, and more. sometimes it's more booze than jogging right now. <laughs> oh, God. Well, God bless you. Anyway, I'll, let, we'll get, I'll put you out of your misery here, and we'll just get into the journalistic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, if yeah. there is this, well, so wait. So, this um, uh, renters in uh, in Pennsylvania lose their protection from eviction um, in what two days? Is that yeah, true? Yeah. Well, so what what is what is true is that right now uh, that that in some ways isn't even completely accurate. In that what happened is, is the state Supreme Court back whenever you remember March, remember March back when that oh, happened, okay. the state Supreme yeah. Court said. There can be no evictions whatsoever. After we got through about the peak of the virus, early May, the state Supreme Court, because they have control of every court in the state, said, okay, evictions can restart. The governor then stepped in and using his emergency power said, okay, let's just, there can be no evictions if you can't make rent. You can continue Uh. to evict someone for a pre-existing violation, uh, like property damage. Mm -hmm. So there have been a small, now one of the things that, uh, it's kind of hard to tell, like, keep track of with rent. If you want to get really into this, listen to On the Media. They had an amazing series on this. But anyway, like, there's no good tracking of evictions nationwide or statewide. So there's a really interesting Princeton project uh, called the Eviction Lab. And for example, one of the states they've been keeping track of is Pittsburgh. So it shows how in April, uh, like in, Mar- well, in March after the order, there's a 50% fall in evictions. In April, there are no evictions in Pittsburgh, none whatsoever, mm-hmm. complete stop, which is the height of the virus. And then um, since then, we've seen a slight increase. Uh, like in June, I believe Pittsburgh had about 54 evictions. Uh, and, you know, these all couldn't be for not making rent. That is what is Wolf is preventing with his order. But that order itself is going to go out the window in three days, as you said. Uh, so, like, there, that there is protection through May. May and June, protection got, you know, a little more limited, but wasn't really used according to at least the Pittsburgh tracker. But... Uh, already, um, for example, in June, it was uh, fi- eviction filings were down 95%. In July, we're already at 93%. And that's been, what, six days, seven days of July? So, yeah. like, we're seeing an increase already. Uh, so, kind of, yeah, like, we are looking at when these protections go away. I think there are a lot of advocates who are just saying, well, what are people going to do? Uh, you know, yeah, there yeah. are. I mean, does I anyone think- look ahead to that? What? These are people who, obviously, by virtue of not being able to pay their rent, do not have financial resources. So where do they go? What happens to them? Many of them with young children. What the hell? So um, the the little bit of looking ahead was there was, uh, you know, the state states got stimulus money from the federal government. Uh, Pennsylvania spent about two thirds of it so far. There might have been a little bit more, but 2.6 mil a billion of our 3.9 billion was spent. And of that, sorry, lots of numbers here. 150 million went to rent aid. Now that sounds like a really big number, 150 no. million dollars. No. Well, it, it, I, oh, well, exactly. So the max that somebody can get out of this program is uh, 4,500 dollars over six months. That's 750 dollars a month. 
So the most a renter could get from this program is $750 a month from March to December total. Like, like you could get it post facto, but they will end in December. And the median monthly rent in Pennsylvania is $915. So you're not even, so like the most rent you could get is going to be, you know, what? not matching uh, even the median rent. No, not so. So, and, and, and let's assume that they can't pay their rent because they're out of work. So mm-hmm. it's not as if they can make up the difference. I mean, this, why do we never do enough anyway? So <laughs> what's, can Wolf, I know that there are some Democrats who are asking Wolf to what? Um, you know, keep this going, um, allow, you know, make sure that these people can't be thrown out. Is there something yeah. afoot? What What is that? Well, the the something afoot is the letter that I think Democrats uh, with both the PA Senate and House just sent to Wolf saying, please extend this until the end of the year. At least that was the House version that I saw. I believe that my understanding is the Senate version as well. Uh, so, like, I think the State House Democrats are paying attention to this, but Look, but we see these letters. These letters come out. They're letters. They are a, a statement of policy. The Wolf administration didn't give an answer on if they're actually going to follow through, and it's hard to say if they will. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll know by July, but obviously uh, July, by July 10th, uh, by Friday, I assume. Uh, I mean, you know, it's either going to the, this moratorium is either going to finish or it will be extended. Um, you know, but you're I saying, don't have a crystal ball. But Stephen, you're so you're suggesting yeah. that uh, Democrats who are mm-hmm. truly in the minority in um, yeah. the state legislature, what, are left to, as you say, write pleading letters? Well, you didn't say that. Write letters to <laughs> the governor, and that's that's all they can do, and they usually end up, you know... There's, there's legislation result. too. I don't want to. I don't want to undersell this. Like, there's legislation has been introduced. I think some Lehigh Valley Democrats introduced. Well, I think I know Lehigh Valley Democrats introduced legislation uh, to, for example, just like kind of around the edges, say that okay, there can't be late fees for anyone who missed rent during the this period. There, where we're going to set up a statewide council to help people mediate with their landlord about payment programs. Like, but uh, you know, the the state is. Three billion dollars in the hole, budget-wise, yeah. and I'm not to say that like like that. That's just to say like there are a lot of financial issues. So I don't know if anyone is suggesting. Well, like, I haven't seen anyone suggest more financial aid. Of course, my understanding is there's about 1.3 billion dollars of CARES funding that's still available. They said that could have been that could be a little bit lower uh, from some proposals that passed yeah. around nursing homes, but like there's still probably a good chunk of this money that's available. So yeah, that but you is know, but you know how it works. You having sausage getting made for a few years now, and it's <laughs> not as though renters have heavy-duty lobbyists in Harrisburg. That is correct. That, that uh, are advocating for them. They don't have, I but plenty of other heavy- nursing homes do. You know, they're not going to yeah. get this money. Uh, he- there's not, there is heavy-duty lobbying for um, for apartment owners, though. So, And that, that's yes. kind of one of the interesting things, is that my, my understanding, too, of this program that was set up, this $150 million, you can only get that uh, if you apply jointly with your landlord and the money goes directly to your landlord too. So it's not as if it is truly rent assistance 
it's not like you get a $750 check that would like, you know, cover rent. And then, you know, it's kind of left up to you to pay. Like it goes directly to the landlord and you must apply jointly. I don't know how comfortable everyone would be applying with their landlord. Sure. It depends on how good your relationship is with the master of the house. Uh, and I, I, so I, but I also say that because clearly landlords want to be paid too. Everybody yeah. wants to be paid. So that could be a bit of a wild card where if landlords all of a sudden realize like, Oh crap, we need to either like, you know, take an extension or we might not get anything. Maybe that comes into play. Uh, you know, especially based on how the program was set up, but that, that is, I am breaking, uh, 2017 Stephen's heart there. I suppose that's a bit of opinionated speculation, but <laughs> either way, uh, I, I, you know, that's kind of one of the things I, I keep in mind as someone who does keep an eye on where's the power to make something happen in Harrisburg. Yeah. Does does anything that Democrats uh, put forth um, in the state house go anywhere? I mean, is there any powers hmm. that they have seriously? What what percentage of anything coming out of the Democratic side uh, sees success so this is an interesting time to ask that question because if you'd asked me even i guess a month ago i would have said no there's there's very little power we've actually seen democrats get some big wins for the minority in the black lives matter movement um after the protest on the house floor uh i guess that would have been last month uh, republican leadership kind of had their hand forced and also they saw the video of george floyd like the rest of us and were like wow this is objectively terrible uh and they decided to take action they were you know whatever whether their hand was forced whether however you want to put it they did something and democratic bills on police accountability moved we've covered them at the capitol star uh, a statewide database of police personnel files um uh, a ban on chokeholds, um, a, a bill I just wrote about today uh, that you can find that uh, basically closes a loophole that gave police a defense uh, against sexual assault charges of someone who, who's in their custody. Of course, as I describe all these to your listeners, your listeners might be saying, this all sounds like really obvious things, um, but they were done. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, you go back and forth of like, do you just have as a reporter do does your draw drop from the magnitude of things aren't done or do you have to give credit to where i mean you know where something big was done that wasn't done before uh you know those are well, those all things that did happen and they were democratic proposals though some of them were put under the names of democrats and republicans like better <laughs> is there any chance and I'm, i'll let you go after this is there any chance after the november election that Democrats can um, acquire control of either house of the Pennsylvania legislature? What a question. Uh, I ask myself that every day when I'm trying to figure out how to cover November. Uh, so I think from the people I've talked to and from numbers I've looked at and having looked at districts and yada, yada, caveat, caveat of that enough, right? I think the Senate is a really hard lift, the state Senate, uh, especially because there's a there's a former Democrat who flipped to become an independent up in the uh, Northeast, old coal country. Imagine Hazleton and Ubarletta land. Okay. Uh, but the House, maybe. There's a lot uh, of suburban seats outside of Philly. Maybe. And there's go. there's other options, too. That so th- that's kind of the the the, the Stephen prediction in uh, what is it? It's July eighth. 
And, and if I, if I may, one, one other thing I just wanted to add that I meant to bring in is that on, on the evictions, um, Philadelphia, because Philadelphia is special, uh, as we all know, I'm sure Pittsburgh's hate hearing this, uh, mm-hmm. they, but they do have special laws that like let them be like have more self-governance. So Philadelphia was able to pass its own eviction moratorium. So even if the statewide moratorium or if the statewide moratorium lapses, Philadelphia managed to extend theirs until September. Oh, that's 30th. great. But Pet- but Pittsburgh could not. Pittsburgh because, could not under because we're laws. a second class city, which is another bunch of crapola coming out of Harrisburg. But I, I actually, I, I this didn't make the article. I, sadly, you know how e- even digital news outlets such as ourselves have copy deadlines from time to time. But I talked to someone after the article published from Pittsburgh who said that uh, apparently there are people in Pittsburgh who want to see that changed. I mean, granted, this is you, you know this well, Lynn. That's the story of Pittsburgh. Please give us more self-governance. Pretty please, Harrisburg. But yeah, uh, just another one of those things to chalk up to the second class, first class city divide. Unbelievable. God almighty. What I don't know how you keep your from going insane but as you said you're drinking more and i totally <laughs> i'm joining you i'll raise a glass to you tonight jeez <laughs> or maybe even this afternoon if i can't i can't get to tonight um it's wonderful to hear you you doing okay you're well yeah yeah we're uh i think yes i i can't complain i have it better than a lot of people all i have to do is keep my mouth shut and uh do my job <laughs> Did your girlfriend ever get back from the Middle East? <laughs> She's now. Oh, I'm sorry, but she did. <laughs> oh, and, oh, ex-girlfriend. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, such being young. I forgot. Okay, listen. Great, great to talk to you. Thanks, Stephen. No Keep problem. Up the good Thanks work. I can. You're you're really good. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Oops. That was an oops on my part. I'm sorry. Um doing personal stuff there in the... Uh, okay. Well, meanwhile, as we were speaking, the U.S. Supreme Court... <laughs> the Supreme Court has upheld a Trump administration regulation allowing employers with religious objections, Hobby Lobby, with religious objections to limit access to free birth control. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So somehow birth control is not health. Is there any other health? related stuff that the Supreme Court thinks an employer should be able to refuse? Does an employer, what if you work for a Christian scientist who doesn't think you should go to a doctor at all? God, excuse me. Excuse me while I have a fit. Meanwhile, uh, speaking of the Supreme Court, two things. One, Uh, We've learned uh, as of yesterday that uh, the Chief Justice, uh, now our swing vote, uh, was uh, hospitalized uh, last month um, after a fall that that left his head bloodied. Uh, Somebody who saw him after the fall 
said his head was covered in blood. It required uh, stitches and observation overnight. He has had a history of falls, um, two seizures. You might recall him falling off a dock or something, and it was sort of astonishing because he's a young, healthy-looking guy. So um, they say this one was not related to the seizures he's had, um, that it was just an ordinary trip, fall, who knows what. I don't know. But that's uh, a bit unsettling. And then I've been wanting to share with you something that I saw that is speculative, but enough to make you, um, you know, cringe or run. And that is, we have spoken before about how McConnell and uh, the other uh, heavy-duty Trumpians who see this president as their way of remaking the judiciary for the next uh, few generations uh, by packing the federal courts with, you know, babies. (laughs) If they, if there was no age, I mean, they'd be sticking five-year-olds on if they could, since these are lifetime, tenured, can't-touch-them positions. And they are putting 30-somethings with no experience on these big, important federal, but the experience these guys have, and they're almost all guys, and they're almost all white, is that they are right-wingers, and they're highly political. So this is a real effort to politicize, totally politicize the bench, the federal bench. And this is what I wanted to tell you. There are whispers and whispers even from people in the White House and others in, you know, who talk to the people who whisper, that Justice Clarence Thomas might retire. And sort of like taking one for the team, because he's getting up in years. They all are. And if he were to retire while Trump is still in office, while McConnell still is, uh, and that, so that would be any time before January, um, they could stick some 36-year-old, 40-year-old on the Supreme Court and gain a vote again, you know, if the actuarial tables are correct, um, have a surefire conservative vote. Um, So don't be surprised. I mean, don't be surprised if that happens. That's all I'm saying. Uh, We always wonder in this day and age, what the hell can happen next? Well, that's something that I could see happening. Justice Thomas saying, you know, I can stick my feet up, I can relax, and I can really do something solid here because I ain't going to live another 40 years or 50 years but I can make way for someone like-minded who will. And 
this just sounds like the kind of thing that these guys would do. So, I'm just saying, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm watching as a squirrel. Try, what? Oh, God. Have you ever seen a squirrel actually fall to the ground? Okay, this one just righted himself. He looked like he was going to fall from a very high... Can't tell. Okay, sorry. Anyway, here I am. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. This is... Um, well, you had to figure they uh, the Roberts Court gave some uh, vic- victories to uh, to us, and you know that these next ones are going to go the other way. So this is um, understand that this has to do with Obamacare because the Affordable Care Act, the actual name of Obamacare. Uh, said that employers had to give women access to free birth control. Um, Trump comes in and wipes that out. And this, this is the result. It wended its way to the Supreme Court, which just sided on um, with the religious conservatives. And here's the consequence of this uh, vote. Uh, As many as a quarter of a million women in this country could immediately lose contraceptive coverage from their employers at a time when you know, people don't have the wherewithal. Meanwhile, these same these same plans will cover Viagra, anything having to do with men's sexuality. But for women for, whose sexuality is much more consequential, we'll cover Viagra so men can stoop their way, you know, every day, 20 times a day, having fun, but they stoop women who get pregnant. And that will cover the ability of the guys to get off. We don't cover the ability of the women to safeguard themselves from unwanted pregnancy. God damn it. Now, this might surprise you. It surprises me. The vote was seven to two. So I don't know what the legalities were. The vote was seven to two. It was only Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor who dissented. Wow. Well, I'm sure we'll read more. This case made its way to the court uh, through here, through Pennsylvania in part, uh, because not just Pennsylvania, let's be clear, through the 
Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh and Bishop Zubik. Because when the Affordable Care Act was passed, or even before it, Zubik, uh, on behalf of the Catholic Church, uh, sued. And then there was also the Hobby Lobby thing. And all of those cases make their way, and bang, oh, we get this. The last court before the Supreme Court had at it um, was the Third Circuit in Philadelphia, and um, the judge there wrote this. She said if this were to be allowed, it would disproportionately affect access to contraception for poor women. Yeah, duh. And the most effective forms of contraceptives are the most expensive, yes. And when the uh, uh, ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was, uh, was passed and the cost barriers were removed and uh, women were able to get the best, they switched in high numbers to more effective and expensive methods of contraception. And now, they're on their own. Wow. Well, this is uh, totally a religious-based thing. I cannot believe this. I really can't believe it. I'm sorry. Barbara says, what reason did the Republicans give for uh, opposing Merrick Garland uh, when Obama wanted to put him on the bench? Well, you know what they did. They said that Obama would be out of office in a year and that he shouldn't be able to uh, put anybody on the court, which is bullshit and was. But they, as you know, play by no rules. So they would, they wouldn't even bat an eye uh, if, uh, let's say, they had an opportunity to stick somebody on now, or even the day before the election, or who knows what. They would do it and not apologize. They have no shame. Yeah, Barbara says they argued then that uh, the Senate uh, needed to advise and consent and the next president should be able to make uh, the appointment. I don't know. I don't Whatever. No. They, they're despicable. I'm sorry. They're just despicable. All right. Okay. Here's some good news, or maybe. Um, the Black Lives Matter 
movement is already the most, the largest protest movement and social movement in this nation's history. And that's according to all kinds of scholars and uh, crowd counting experts. The fact is, is that for one, for more than a month now, there has not been a single day where there are not protests, multiple protests all over this nation. It is believed by those who do count such things that as many as 26 million people in the United States have participated in these demonstrations. And even if those figures are inflated hugely, they still, it makes these protests the largest movement in the country's history. One uh, historian says it is really hard to overstate the scale of this movement. On June 6th, one day, for example, more than 50,000 people turned out in Philadelphia, 20 plus thousand in Chicago, uh, 10,000 on the Golden Gate Bridge. There have been 5,000 plus demonstrations, an average of 140 a day. And the geographic spread is really the most eye-popping characteristic, according to one sociology professor. He says this shows the breadth and the depth of this movement's support. The reality that in counties that are overwhelmingly white, there are constant demonstrations. Nearly 95% of counties that had a protest recently are majority white. Nearly three-quarters of the counties that have had Black Lives Matter protests are 75% white. And that shows something that has never happened in this country before. Now, yeah, the Women's March, that march that greeted the, the beginning of Donald Trump's tenure, the Women's March... 2017, had, depending on who was counting, three to five million people on a single day. And that was unbelievably huge historically, but it was a highly organized event, and it was a one-day event. What we have here with the Black Lives Matter protest is a bottom-up, much more organic in nature 
and it has already yielded the kinds of change that many of us thought we would never see. The Confederate flag finally coming down. The statues honoring traitors coming down. NASCAR getting behind it. Now, granted, all of that is great, but it ain't going to make much difference if policy doesn't change. And the only way that happens is for the protests to yield to policy, which means vote, 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 get power. Turn that legislature in Harrisburg. Turn the Congress of the United States. We need power for the people, right? Here's one professor on all of this. It looks for all the world like these protests are achieving what very few do. They are setting in motion a period of significant, sustained, and widespread social political change. We appear to be experiencing a social change tipping point that is as rare as it is potentially consequential. So make no mistake, we are living in an extremely historic time. And it's one of the reasons that you see those on the wrong side of history, invariably Republicans and conservatives, on the wrong side of history, freaking out as much as they are. And getting a little crazy. A little crazy. And uh, getting... uh, Okay, I'm sorry. I was looking at some news uh, coming in. Um, You know, speaking of crazy, (laughs) do do you know there are are these... This this happening, I've talked about a few of these incidents where like these crazed right-wingers carrying, you know, un- unbelievable weaponry show up in a little town or someplace because they have intelligence that some Antifa hooligans are going to burn down the town or destroy something or other. These things never happen. That which these guys come to defend their country. They never happen. Because these are people who are in every way living in Crazyville. Uh, I think it was, was it the July 4th weekend? Um that it got out amongst these people that Antifa protesters 
We're going to converge on Gettysburg. And they were going to do it so they could burn American flags. And they actually have people that like post these things. Um, uh, and like saying, we'll be giving away free small flags to children to safely throw into the fire. This is supposedly, they, they have all this, see, this is happening. And there's going to be a whole bunch of them and even little kids. And so word spreads. And these lunatics, these idiots in the militia movement, bikers, skinheads, far right, they go berserk. They grab their guns to protect the flag. And so I guess July 4th, did this get reported? Um, before this Antifa flag burning was supposed to begin, there were no Antifa people there. What was there is hundreds of heavily armed and totally idiotic, clueless right-wingers. I mean, these same kinds of idiots showed up lining the streets of small towns in Idaho and in South Dakota and in New Jersey and in Michigan. (laughs) They'll fall for anything. And I can't imagine how foolish they must feel, but what, or I suppose they think that maybe they, uh, scared them away they scared antifa away i don't know there's a guy who says he's from here from pittsburgh who manages something called the left behind usa account on uh, social media he now lives in iowa somewhere the washington post went looking for him and could find no such person His name is supposed to be Alan Jeffs, 39 years old, from Pittsburgh. Uh, Even Facebook shut down the Left Behind USA pages. Um, And I don't know. It's beyond belief, these fools. So, God help us, because these fools will be with us long after Trump departs, and they're they're lost. They are lost, lost to reason, lost to reality. Um, frightening and i'm not sure what we what we what we're going to be able to do with them uh, a, certainly a full third of the nation is a stark raving nuts so there's that 
But the good news is that the Black Lives Matter movement is the real deal. But it has to be constant now. And it has to go from the streets into the policy-making bodies. And I really do feel that a lot of these young people, because you've, you've seen people, incredibly smart, uh, eloquent people at these marches. They're young. They don't run anything. They're bottom up. They're coming out of the out of the woodwork, and um, they are politicized, which is fantastic. And they're quite willing, clearly, to do sustained hard work. So that does give me. Uh, a measure of of some hope. I don't know why I'm sitting around waiting for these damn numbers to come out. They'll be awful again. And by the way, the uh, I don't know if it's in the New York Times or the Washington Post, they keep printing a map of the United States of counties and the counties that are black. You know, there's some that are gray, some that are slightly gray, some that are white, are the ones that are where the virus is going nuts. And I hate to tell you, but we're one of the black ones. We're one of the black ones along with, you know, all those places in Texas and Arizona and Florida. We are. The cases, the positives in Allegheny County, Washington County, which is, I mean, huge. That's They're seeing an uptick bigger than Allegheny counties. But all of these western Pennsylvania counties, you know, where a lot of crazy people live who don't believe in masks. Okay, here it comes. Yeah, it just keeps coming. 230... Cases since yesterday at this time. Two new deaths, eight new hospitalizations. So those, the deaths and hospitalizations now are ticking up. And here again, the age range. It's mind-blowing. Seven months in these latest cases, seven months to 96 years. Be careful out there. Stay cool. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.